0: taught to think in a certain way, right? because it creates all of these mental defenses that people don't realize, and it's oftentimes your, it's your own defenses when they're askewed, that if they're not calibrated properly on truth, guess what they do? They hinder you, mm. right? This is the whole point in the New Testament where they talk about deception, and the thing about deception that's so pernicious is that you never know what's happening when it's happening to you, <laughs> right?
1: Gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to coach you up in your faith. The more you know, the more you can grow. The importance of growing your faith is now more critical than ever. You live in a world that is more global than ever, and this requires you to interact with more different ways of thinking and living. On top of that, you're inundated with data, information, and so-called research. How can you know what is actually true and what is false? It gets confusing real quick, and people can be easily manipulated. If you don't want to be deceived, manipulated, or confused, then it is important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Mm -hmm. The only way to navigate today's world is to develop a strong and clear faith. Our goal is to give you what you need to grow your own faith, to think for yourself and come to your own conclusions. We want to provide you with the tools, the facts, and the perspective to think for yourself. Our leader, our guide, and at the helm of our adventure is the one, the only, the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak.
0: Hey, everyone. It's so good to be with you in this new year. I'm really excited about all the things we're going to do this year in the Salty Pastor. Tell your friends. I'd love to have them join us on this faith journey. You can tell them, look, every week on Tuesday, we're going to study the Bible with the Salty Pastor, and then every Thursday, we're going to apply it to current events and to our own lives. So... You know, maybe they'll join. Maybe this will be something they can do to help them grow spiritually, and that's what we are all about. So in order to help this, if you jump over on YouTube and kind of like and subscribe, thumbs up, all that kind of stuff, if you're on Apple Podcasts, give it a five-star rating. If you're on Google and you listen through Google, I have no idea how they uh, rate it or encourage it or what. Do you know anything, Jesse, how that works? Uh,
1: They don't really have anything like that. It's just basically uh – it just, people listen and it goes up. It numbers, goes up. Numbers so, get big. Numbers.
0: Okay, well, whatever it takes that can help out these uh, algorithms and the computer AI people, you know, that run all this stuff, I'd uh, love for you to do that, particularly on YouTube. You know, if you just even if you don't ever watch or listen on YouTube, just go to YouTube real quick, look up the Salty Pastor, and then like and subscribe to it because mm. when uh, our subscription rate goes up, what YouTube does is then they open the door to various levels of support, and we want to be able to access those eventually. So we're excited that you're here with us in 2024. And even though it looks like it's going to be a crazy year, an election year, the economy is teetering, inflation is running rampant, job market has slowed down, all of these things can really you know make you nervous. I think it's going to be a great year, Uh, so we should anticipate God doing great things in the midst of our lives. And so join me, Salty Pastor, as we journey through 2024 together, and we have uh, a spirit of optimism, we have a spirit of hope, we have a uh, confidence and courage about everything that God's going to do in us and through us in 2024.
1: Absolutely. And we are currently in our uh, theme for the year, which is expanding the kingdom, and our New series that we're in is Train to Go. Our goal for um, the Stealthy Pastor podcast is to train every person so that they can go and expand the kingdom of God. We're trying to answer the question, what happens to you, to your faith, to your life, when you engage in what Jesus is doing in and through his kingdom? Mm -hmm. How does it affect you when you begin to participate in the expansion of his kingdom here on earth, Pastor? What's that look like?
0: (laughs) Well, that's just it. Uh, You know, the... Uh, when I was in high school, I first came to faith and I was pretty excited. It was a, a new adventure. There was all this discovery, you know, read my Bible every night. I mean, reading and, and thinking about things I had never heard of and mm. right in all kinds of new ways. So that was pretty exciting. And, uh, I was loving every minute of it. Then I came across this passage in Matthew called the Great Commission and then I was exposed to the whole notion uh, in uh, the church that I was in and the youth group it was during high school about how we should share our faith and one of the things that was presented to us back then back in the late 70s around 1980 is it was all about these tracks and these tracks were like these little tiny comic books but they they were they were really radical you know about crazy ideas you know i mean it was just a real crazy presentation of the faith you know about people who die and go to hell and they're burning you know and stuff like that so they were they were called tracks and they were these little tiny um comic book things and they were in black and white and they're about the size of a dollar bill you know and you'd flip okay. through them and and so they're not around anymore but so so this notion of, of going around and telling people that they were going to burn in hell and their eyes would burn, their skin would burn and their bones would be eaten by worms. Terrified me. Right. It just terrified me that I was going to go out and share my faith that way. And just, you know, scare people to death. Then you add to the fact at that point in my life, I was this awkward teenager with acne, you know, (laughs) I mean, I was like pretty socially awkward um, some people will say, well, pastor, you've never grown out of that. <laughs> but and then on top of that, the the 60s and the early 70s, there was this new social stigma in America to people of faith and particularly people who who were sharing their faith. Mm. And so you add all that up and it really put this burden on me that terrified me because it was presented to me as a duty. It's like, it was kind of like, okay, Jesus has done all this great stuff for you. You're saved. You're so happy. Now this is what you need to do for him because of everything you got. Right? So it's kind of transactional. And my will, this is how it came across to me. My willingness to do my duty was directly tied to my appreciation for what he had done. There was a lot of, well, if you love Jesus, you would do this for him. It kind of reminds me, like you know, it's the mom who would say, "Well, if you love me, you'll take out the garbage," which is kind of a guilt appeal. Yes, because then you're like, "Well, if I don't take out the garbage, I'm saying to my mom I don't love her." Right. Right. So, and you don't want to say that. And and because there there was a lot of that. If you love Jesus, you'll you'll do that for him. And the problem then became is that if if that's true, the opposite's true. So if I couldn't if I couldn't share my faith, or if I couldn't work up or screw up the courage to tell one of my friends they're going to hell and their eyes are going to burn out of their thing in the lake of fire, then that must mean I don't really love Jesus, mm. which was really, uh, it was a real big uh, problem for me personally because, I mean, I had come to such a a, a real powerful transformational faith, right? And it took a long, long time me to not feel guilty about how it was presented to me because I came to realize that the act of sharing my faith and growing the kingdom of God had nothing to do with duty or a chore that had to be accomplished. It had everything to do with my own maturity. And, and that's what we talked about on Tuesday is that the Great Commission isn't a job that I have or a chore that I have to do, Right. It's something that I am. It's something that I am. And if I am that, then it helps me figure out, well, okay, well, what exactly is the the thing that I am in the Great Commission? I, you know, I'm not the guy on the street corner with the bullhorn telling people they're going to go to hell, right? I'm not right. the guy with the sandwich board. I, I, that That is so not in my, you know, realm of thinking of how this is to be done. And so it really helped me expand the whole notion of what it means to be a part of the Great Commission. We'll talk about that in a little bit more. But, you know, it, it helped me understand that the stronger, um, well, let me, I want to phrase it this way. The, the, the more I function in my identity, the Great Commission is who I am, the more I function in this, this identity, my authentic self, then the stronger I become as a man and as a follower of Christ. So that that's how it really expanded my view of what sharing my faith meant. It totally changed my perspective. And it was not about, uh, you know, it's not like going out and hunting for converts. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in college, I lived next to Aggieville, it was called. And it was known in the United States as having the most amount of bars in a single block area. So... All the college kids from Kansas State would go down to Aggieville back then, and they had this law there, and it was it was a three two law and that is at eighteen years of age, you could drink three two beer, which was kind of like uh it's beer but with half the alcohol, okay, so what happens is all these college kids would go down to these bars that serve three two beer and then they would just drink you know buckets and gallons of it until they could get sloshed and then the other thing is if you're a three two beer bar you had to close at midnight. Okay. And so uh the college that I was going to was across the street from K-State and it was literally right next to Aggieville. So we would walk down there oftentimes and just see what was going around around midnight and stuff in the bars. And there was always these group of guys that would go out and they'd have a bullhorn and as people were coming out of the bars, you know, they'd yell and scream at these people about they're burning in hell for the sins they've committed of getting drunk. And I would just I, I always would watch that, you know, and analyze it and see, wow That doesn't seem to, that seems to me that you're not sharing faith. You're not sharing a propositional truth. You're just trying to create conflict, right? Mm. And so that, that really changed. So when I realized why I am the great commission, then that made me realize when I function in my authentic self, the stronger I become as a man and a follower. And so what I need to do is I need to discover, well, what is my authentic spiritual self in the great commission? What's my part? Where do I fit? And so it it really helped me then focus on knowing what I believe and why I believe it. You know, Um, if I can't articulate it for myself, how could I ever explain what I believe? And why, why, if I can't explain what I believe, then how could I explain it to anyone else? How could I even defend it? And this is what really launched me into searching for the rational foundation, the intellectual rigor that our faith in Jesus Christ is based on. It really launched that part of me all those years ago, 30, 40 years ago. So uh, the other thing it did is it really helped me focus my life because I had to ask myself a simple question. What am I willing to actually fight for? What What is really worth dying for in my life? Uh, I heard a quote from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and he says if a man hasn't found anything worth dying for, he isn't fit to live. Mm. And and that really struck me and that is is that wow, I believe in Jesus, I'm willing to die for this, so I need to I need, now need to fight for it. I have something worth dying for. I have something worth fighting for. Something that drives me as a man in this life and that is what really helped change my perspective on faith, and that is is that sharing my faith, being the Great Commission, is about uh, learning who I am, what I believe, and how God wants to move through me to expand His kingdom, and that He has a role for me. And when I understand that, and I'm willing to die for that and fight for that, that's where all the meaning, maturity, purpose, strength, courage, confidence that I need as a man comes from.
1: Yeah, I think the what drives us is so important because that's what's going to ultimately affect I mean, uh I, I married uh someone who did a lot of a master's degree in psychology, right? Mm-hmm. In counseling she and she always
0: analyzing you now?
1: No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean probably <laughs> but the she talks a lot about motivations. What's the what's oh. a person's motivation? Oh yeah. Especially when it comes to like personality tests. Sure. A lot of personality tests are based on well, what, are you, what is your motivation for doing this thing, right? Like mm, it's, not, yeah. it's not always behavior. It's why did you choose to do that? So the they're ba- trying to get at what drives you. Yeah. And so that's what helps. That's why some of the best personality tests and some of the best things that resonate are when you're honest and go, well, this is why I chose to do this or this is why I exhibit this behavior. And then you go, oh, well, yeah, that makes more sense because I'm motivated by blank right yeah and so that should also apply to how are you living your life what is motivating yeah. you if you're doing it because you have an innate guilt and desire because someone told you to mm. that falls off real quick yeah for the most part excellent right? point yeah you that doesn't uh, encourage long lasting i mean atomic habits the exact same way we i read that book on um, mm-hmm. pastor Harve's recommendation and it basically is like if you do it just because you're trying to hit a goal it will eventually just fall off because yeah. you'll either hit the goal or you won't hit the goal and you'll go, it's not worth the effort, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you redefine who you are mm-hmm. and you say, I am a person who works out mm-hmm. with no intended end goal of that phrase, right? There's yeah. no caveat to That's just to it. who you are. This I is your am, true self. This is who I am. I am yeah. someone who works out full stop, who happens to have goals of reaching certain things that transforms how you think about it, right? And Mm -hmm. that's what you're saying we need to be thinking about when it comes to the Great Commission is, I am Mm -hmm. someone who is part of this engine, right? I may not be- I am the engine. Yeah, (laughs) I am the engine, and I serve different parts. That doesn't mean I have to fulfill every single function and form of how the Great Commission plays out, but I am part of the engine, and I need to do my job in- the fact that I, it is who I'm called to be. It is yeah. who I am. It's who I am. It's yeah. not a job. It's who I am, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I have a function in it. So yeah. that's I've, a
0: great driver. I think yeah. that's important. You're being your authentic self.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. So what happens to people when they don't discover a mission in life? I think that's another question too. Like this empowers you. You talked about, you know, you discovered this in college. You've been studying and pursuing yes. it. And it's something that drives you in how you think, how you act, how you pursue your life. What's happening to people that haven't discovered who they are or why they're here? Like, what's happening to those? Those. Well, it's just
0: it's like you said, you know, um, in the book Atomic Habits. And another situation is that, well, if if you are just setting goals, you you know, because you have this idealized version of yourself, those things tend to fall off, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't think the effort eventually is worth it. But if you have a mission in life, a mission in life defines who you are. This is who I am, right? I am here to fill in the blank. So now this is who you are. And so it gives you maturity and strength. Now, Uh, like, for instance, maturity is living life in a specific direction. Mm -hmm. It's not meandering all over the place, wondering what you're supposed to do, trying different things and moving on. Because then in the end, you don't realize this, but the thing that's driving you is sensuality. It's however I feel about something at the moment is what's driving me. And you end up nowhere. You know, you go in circles and you live a life of hedonism in a sense, some type of spiritual hedonism. So uh, if you don't know where you're going that is not a way to live life at any level. I think people feel, people generally use the term, I'm lost, right? Or they say, I've heard this a lot on the internet recently with influencers and people talking and stuff like that, is they say, I lost myself. Right. And I think what they're trying to get at is, I didn't know who I was, my authentic self, and I didn't know where I was going or what I was supposed to do. So what they're they're saying is, I was very confused and and i think that's really important if you don't know where you're going you're lost and you're going to lose yourself i've been seeing a trend from you know uh, another trend or another meme uh, on the internet from a lot of young people is that the american dream is dead right i hear this a lot the american dream is dead and that free markets, capitalism has failed them because they can't buy a house. And so now they're comparing, you know, how much a house costs today and, and what it costs to get into it and with inflation adjustment and what it costs their, their parents or grandparents to get in one in like the 60s or 70s yes. or something like that nature. And then, so they, they compare this and they say it's an apples to apples comparison and that's why it's a failure. And I just think this is crazy talk this is absolutely crazy talk. The average house that your parents lived in was a two-bedroom, maybe a three-bedroom ranch that was 1,000 square feet with a single-car garage, right? I mean, it was small. It's really, really small. Today, the average house is over 2,000 square feet with a three-car garage. I mean, you're not comparing apples to apples, right? Number one, it's just size. The other thing is that it's not an issue of affordability. It's an issue of financial management, you know, your parents didn't have cell phone plans. The, there was no Starbucks so that you could spend $5 a day on a coffee drink. There there was maybe one-tenth of the fast food restaurants out there that there are today. You know, um, on a side note, when, when we went to Italy, we were living in Italy, it's really interesting because... There's not a lot of fast food restaurants there. There's not a lot of places where you could just drive in and buy anything, right? And so one of the fast food restaurants in the area that we were in, because we were not in, like, what I call the tourist tunnel, where they, they set up these uh, tunnels that people go to, like, you go to Rome, and then you get on the train, and then you go to yeah, Florence. and paths. Yeah, and there's a whole economy built around this tunnel to meet all your needs as you're traveling, which that makes perfect sense, you know? Right. But so we didn't want to do that. So we lived out. None of our neighbors spoke English. None of the people we were around spoke English at all. The place where we got gas for our car guy didn't speak any English. Thank goodness my daughter was fluent in Spanish. And within about three or four weeks, she was fluent in in Italian. Italian. It was awesome. But I take her, come with me, honey. Come with me, man. We got to go get gas in the car. Oh, dad, I don't (laughs) want to go get gas in the car. Well, I can't talk to the guy, you know, because you pull up and you put your credit card in to buy gas. It's all in Italian. Mm. I can't, I didn't know what button to push or what to do just to get the pump to turn on. It was hilarious. But the point being is this. It's not about affordability. It's about how you manage your money. And are you willing to, if you lived like your parents lived, you'd, you'd live like your parents live. Ramsey says this way to young people. If you're willing to live like no one else, like none of your peers live right you're now. talking about Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey, yeah. He says, if you're willing to live like no one else right now, if you're a young person, you're 21, and if you live like nobody else around you, uh, all of your friends are living this way, you don't, right? Guess what? You're going to live like no one else when you're old. Because they aren't going to, they're all going to be saddled with debt, consumer debt. They're not going to be able to buy a house because they weren't able to save. They're not going to have anything for retirement. Why? Because they didn't live like no one else. Everybody else is constantly buying food and drinks and have cell phone plans and all these kinds of things. They didn't do that. And so if you don't do that, and so what's my point in that? is when you have a mission in life, spiritually, it has the same thing, is that I know what I'm doing, I'm gonna live like nobody else. And that ends up later on, meaning I live like nobody else. Everybody else is lost, everybody else is sad, everybody else is wondering if their life was worth it or not. Well, not me. You're not gonna, you're not gonna experience that way because you've lived with direction. The other thing that, that you know mission in life does is it gives you value. Mm. This is really important. This is where value comes from. It comes from when you are a part of something else, you're functioning in that, your identity is in something other than just your selfish wants and desires, guess what happens? Your value will go up. Everybody wants to feel value, right? But nobody knows how to feel valued. And so that's a critical point, is the way you feel value is you live for a mission in life. The, the other thing I'd say is that it gives you an endurance or a perseverance and a strength to get through difficult times. You remember Jocko Willick says, you know, discipline is the only thing that helps you move forward. He says, don't wait for motivation because motivation is an emotion. It's a feeling and feelings are fickle. Mm. He goes, discipline is the only thing that gets you up out of bed at the same time every day. And so I I think it's kind of like that. Mission in life is the only thing that gives you endurance and perseverance during hard times. And I guarantee you, your life is going to be hard. You're going to have all kinds of problems and you're going to have all kinds of injustices against you. You're going to, life is very, very difficult. So stop telling yourself that it's supposed to be a walk in the park, Kazansky. What is that a quote from? No idea. Top gun one, bro. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's you been know? a
1: hot minute since I've seen it, obviously. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's
0: an old one, but it, it's not a walk in the park. Life is not a walk in the park, it's difficult. And so when you have a mission in life, you grow strong and you grow mature and that allows you to persevere. And and what saddens me is that there's so many people under 35 years who are struggling. Uh, with direction, value, and perseverance in their life. The, the mental health issues that uh, are, are, are coming out in this demographic of people is overwhelming. And I think one of the reasons why is because the way our society has taught them to think. You know what I'm saying? Is that postmodernism states, well, there is no real answer. There is no objective truth. Well, then that's basically saying, well, there's no reason or purpose for your life. Your life has no mission. Well, if you want one, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine because there isn't really one. Well, why would we tell young people that? That just seems terrible to, 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 to tell people that, look, the country that you live in is horrible. You know, that seems terrible to tell young people. Did you know, according to NEAP, that's a national report card on the educational outcomes in America, it's a government run website, Did you know that only 22% of 8th graders in the United States of America are proficient in civics? What? 22% are proficient in civics. Civics, meaning this is how our nation works. Right. They live in the most affluent, technologically advanced civilization in the history of the world. So Rome, ancient Rome, doesn't even come close to what we've accomplished in America, not even close. And yet only 22% of eighth graders have any idea how we achieved these incredible things. What they're told is that their nation is horrible, right? And terrible and wants to destroy the planet and all these other kinds of crazy things. So no wonder when you tell people this, They have no vision, no mission, no purpose, no direction in life. And when that goes away, we've talked about this on numerous occasions, it creates nihilism or nihilism. And what nihilism is, is a lack of mission. It's a lack of purpose. It's a lack of value. It's a lack of all of the things that make life strong. So one of the greatest impacts of life without Purpose is a mental health struggle. It's nihilism, it's despair, it's defeat. And those are never good things for seventeen year olds.
1: Absolutely not. And I mean it's it's the way that our I'm I'm working in youth ministry right now as part of my service. Um I, I work in youth ministry before I was doing high school choreography, working with kids, yeah. and just over the last eight years, I've spent a lot of time working with high schoolers, college, mm-hmm. and yeah. middle school age kids. So, what have you seen in all this experience? It's just the a lack of like they there's just no hope. Like, yeah. legitimately, there's just no hope. They're like, I mean, I think the younger younger generation, like, you, know, I mean, Jake as a like a whole, yeah. I think some of the kids in his generation are kind of over this. Like, there's nothing out there for me. Like, we're gonna make something happen. Yeah. But like that gap between like your son, your youngest son's age and probably like a 27, 28 year old, there's like this like 10 year gap where kids are just like, what are, what's the point? Like they're hearing constantly, well, you're never going to be able to afford a house. You're never getting out of student debt. You're never going to be able to do this. The world doesn't matter. You're cosmic dust. Nothing happens after you die. Like, yeah, I, I get it. You. You yeah. wouldn't want it, really. You, would, you don't have anything to look forward yeah. to when that's the only thing you're hearing, right? And so they're nihilistic. They're nihilistic. And that's leading to all of these memes about, like, kids that won't move out of their parents' house or don't yeah. know what they're doing or they're refusing to work. And it's like, well, if you tell an entire generation every day of their life that there's no point, mm-hmm. then, yeah they're probably not going to be highly motivated. You've taught them a
0: way of thinking, this postmodern idiocy, this deconstructive idiocy, and that's what it
1: results in. Well, and I mean, I think I take this down to even more a a recent example is maybe 2 years ago we were just coming out of covid like in some of the more um, liberal states were really just like actually letting kids go back to school and stuff. Yeah. And my old ballroom team was touring and they called me and one of my uh, mentees calls it and is just in tears and she's mm. bawling. And she's like, I'm teaching this kid's class for a performance. There's, the kids are supposed to come up, perform. It's great. I've done this hundreds of times. And she's like, I can't get the boys and the girls to dance together. And I'm like, okay, well, give it another day. Try these things. She calls yeah. me the next day, is bawling again. She's like, they literally won't go near each other. And I was like, you know what this is? They lived in a state that told them for two years, if you get within six feet of another person, you'll kill them. Yeah, exactly. You will kill someone if you get too close to them, even with a mask on. Yeah. No wonder these kids are refusing and feel so anxious and petrified to be next to each other. It's not a boys and a girls cootie thing. It's literally, I might kill this person because that's all I've heard for two years is you're going to kill somebody if you get too close to them. So it's like... Even that short-term version of that messaging has you, transformed the way people are interacting. Think. Yeah, and we're talking about a much longer period of time that people have been told things
0: and 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 thought taught to think in a certain way,
1: right? Because
0: it creates all of these mental defenses that people don't realize, and it's oftentimes your, it's your own defenses when they're askewed. That if they're not calibrated properly on truth, guess what they do? They hinder you, mm. right? This is the whole point in the New Testament where they talk about deception. And the thing about deception that's so pernicious is that you never know it's happening when it's happening to you, right? (laughs) Yes. It's like, oh, I I didn't know that. I got duped. I got duped, yeah.
1: So how does knowing our function in the kingdom of God impact our lives?
0: Well, yeah, to bring this back into the full circles, the the commission, the, the great commission, you know one of its legs we talked about on tuesday is transformational relationships so that when i am functioning this is who i am i'm a social creature so mm-hmm. i need to have relationships now you the whole introverted extroverted thing does is is a subcategory of the fact that you're a social creature some people need two or three very very close friends and that's it other people need 20 right but what all research shows is that Close friends is usually between somewhere five and seven people. That's the most that you can be close to, right? Just because of your bandwidth and your time right. and having to work and everything else. So, so the issue is if you're a social cre- a creature and you are the Great Commission engine, then that means my relationships need to be transformational at some
1: level. And so... Because uh, you only have capacity to reach seven people. Yeah. Or really, to, really, like to yeah. transform seven people at a time, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: And if you're married and you have kids, you know, like that's like, four of them. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's four or five of them right there. And then you're going to have a couple close friends that you need to encourage, like somebody discipling you or a, a, a small group, you know, people that are on the faith journey with you that are your little tribe. And so all you need to do is say, okay, well, how can our relationship, can, you know, how can we have a transformational relationship with somebody who needs to be. Mentored and discipled. Sometimes, if you're a mom, the person you're discipling more than anybody else is your kids. Mm. I mean, that's part of it, right? As a dad, that's part of it. And so, but that's a very small window in the course of your whole life. Just take my word for it. Yes, you know, I didn't have kids till I was thirty, and then boom, before you know it, they're gone in your fifties, and you're like, well, I didn't last very long. (laughs) So, so you just need to take that into account. If you want to engage in expanding the kingdom of God, then work on ways to create relational room. Right, Um, and here's what's interesting: not necessarily relational room in your life.
1: Okay, give me. I you're you're teeing me up for something. What is it? Just take a swing. I mean, where else? I mean, are you? What are you talking about? Like the church? Well, okay, yeah. Well, the church or other
0: situations, and it's kind of like this. It's like you're at the situ. You get to a point in your life, and you go, okay, well, you know, I've got you know, kids in middle school and elementary school and I'm married and I want to work on my marriage and I want to work on these kids and discipleship. Transformational relationships are very good there. I have three good friends that I'm in a prayer group with or Bible study group or discipleship group with and we can't add another person, right? We can't add another person. So what most people do is they go, okay, I'm done. Right. I'm, I'm fulfilling it. And da, da, da. Well, no, no, you're not quite. I'm Jesus isn't asking you to add another person into that discipleship environment, you know, that might disrupt it. But what Jesus is saying is that you're going to have to go and create a discipleship environment for other women or other people that can experience what you're experiencing. Does that make sense? So if you're having dinner in your living room and you have four seats at your table and you see people outside that need a place to eat, it's not necessarily that you have to squeeze in another chair around your table, but what you do is you find another dining room that has an empty table and you get those people in there so that they then develop the same closeness that you're experiencing around your table. Okay. See how that works? Yes. Is that, okay, if I don't have room right now in my own life, I need to create that room in another environment for other people for it to happen. Okay. That's called creating relational room. And this is why it's so important. Now I'll tell a quick story about two guys, Joe and Charlie. Joe and Charlie were guys that were in their 50s and they both needed to get in shape. They took a New Year's resolution, joined a gym, right? So Joe goes down and he's kind of an extroverted guy, starts meeting people, making friendships and all this kind of stuff. Charlie, he's kind of a socially awkward, he's an introvert, and so he doesn't really make any friends. He just shows up, he does his thing and he leaves. Well, guess what happens? Three months into this working out, you know, they're doing better, is that they both have an accident. Joe tweaks his back. Okay so he can't lift for about a month, maybe six weeks. Charlie sprains his ankle, okay, playing okay. pickup basketball. So he can't work out. So he takes six to weeks off, eight to weeks off. Okay. After that period of time, who goes back to the gym and keeps working out? Joe or Charlie? Joe.
1: Why? Because he has relational engagement.
0: He has friends. You know, people who start their journey of faith will keep going if they develop seven new friendships in the community of faith that they're a part of. If they don't develop more than five new friends, there's a 90% chance that they'll stop in six months and never go back. Mm. That's called creating relational room. You know, we have to do that. Uh, if this is who we are. If I am the Great Commission, God isn't asking me to go from five friends to ten friends because I don't think I can do that, right? Right. I just can't do that. But what he is saying, I have the capacity to, if I have five friends, create an environment where five other guys or five other people can become friends in their own group. And I can pray for that. I can set that up. I can encourage that. As a matter of fact, my group of five friends can help create that for a new group of five friends. And that's called creating relational room. That's critical in your church. So Mm. if you're focusing on that in your church, then you're a part of the Great Commission. That's who you are.
1: I love that. So why is is this kind of why we're focusing on this Train to Go series, this idea that we need to go out and make space? We either need to be actively discipling and being part of the Great Commission Mm -hmm. engine or making space so that others can be doing that, right? Yeah.
0: You, uh, the whole point of this series, Train to Go, is that is to tell people you are the Great Commission, and now I want to give you the tools to fulfill who you are, mm-hmm. right? Because your desire, your motivation, your comfort level, your skill in sharing your faith is where you will experience the greatest strength, confidence, courage, and maturity in your faith. Those two are parallel linked together. So I want what's best for people, and i want what's best for their faith and the salty pastor is here to coach you up in your faith therefore i want your desire your motivation your comfort level and your skill in sharing your faith to grow because the the more those things grow guess what the more your faith will be courageous mature strong enduring lasting all of those really great things
1: mm-hmm. love that well thank you so much pastor for sharing with us today for inspiring us and giving us some deeper thoughts on what it means to really be part of the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a, uh, a listener who is outside of Foothills Church, someone who um, is a Salty Pastor fan but doesn't actually attend Foothills Church, we want to challenge you to um, help us support this ministry. If we've made an impact on your life, we want to challenge you to uh, commit to a monthly gift. Um, Help us support this ministry. It can be whatever you feel is necessary, whatever you um, are able to do to help support this. We want to challenge you to give monthly to help support this podcast so that we can grow and expand it and reach more and more people. You'll do that by going to foothills.org slash give and you can actually uh, select the Salty Pastor podcast and you can set a recurring donation amount um, that will just automatically be pulled um, or you'll be reminded to do whichever your Mm -hmm. preference is. But we want to challenge you to help support this ministry in a real way as we move forward into 2024 because we want to do some big things, but we can only do it with your support. So Mm -hmm. um, challenging you to do that, step out in faith, trust that God's got you, and we're going to do some great things here in 2024, Mm -hmm. Lord willing. So thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you next Tuesday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast.
0: Happy New Year!